There's a word that comes from heaven. And when a word comes from heaven, it can come to a church or it can come to the church. Either way, it's God's word. Either way, it's prophetic. So God may stand up and and, uh, there may be a, a prophet who stands up and he speaks to a nation... And it's up to those leaders in that nation to hear what God is saying to, that, to the church in that nation. But then there's a voice, that's a prophetic voice, that stands up in the midst of a local church and begins to speak. And if the people's ears and hearts are not tuned to what God is saying, that particular house will miss what God's doing. You shouldn't have to go beyond our walls to hear what God's saying. Seriously. If you have to run to a conference to hear what God's saying, shame on you. I didn't say go to a conference, I said run to a conference to hear what God's saying. Because God should be speaking in your own local church. Now, I know that's not true in every local church, but it is true in this house. And I'm only speaking about this house. So God has been speaking to us, certainly from Christmas. God began to speak to us and talking to us about many things. But two things that the Lord spoke to us about was... How the testimony of God, tell my people to press, push, and pursue. Me, not me personally, God. Teach them how to press, push, and pursue me until their testimony of God is established through everything they do. Now, the moment um, you know that, what God is saying to us, he said, make ready a people. Get my people ready. So the question is then, ready for what? So then God says, I'm glad you asked. So now now you're recognizing what God's saying and now you're inquiring what God is about to do. And that's what we need to do. And, And by getting ready, we need to strengthen, empower, and mobilize. Strengthen. Strengthen what already remains. Empower so that we can then mobilize. I mean, so many conferences will tell you about empowering, but they never empower you to mobilize. They just empower you to know more. And we're not empowering you to to know more. That is part of the uh, the purpose of being empowered, but it's not the full picture. If you can't rise and do something with what you've just been empowered, then the empowerment was useless. And most Christians never get beyond the conference door. So... God began to speak to us that God, uh, sorry, growth was coming to us over a period, short period of time. Because I had a dream, and in my dream, I don't, I'm not a guy that often dreams. Uh, not to this extent, anyway. And as I woke up, it was very apparent to me that God was speaking to me. And it was very real in the dream, because that's how dreams are, aren't they? That's how they grab your attention. And as it grabbed my attention, I was, uh, I was overwhelmingly aware that growth was coming. God was showing me in the dream, growth was coming and it came in a short period of time. It was almost in, in one month period. As I, as I analyzed that one month, I realized we'd grown 100 people just in one month. Now, they're not, that doesn't have to say literal numbers. But that's the dream. God's saying growth will come in a short period of time. But it just doesn't come. It's be, it comes because you do things. Hello? It comes because you do things. You know, God just doesn't do anything. God prepares. God speaks, he prepares, he mobilizes. And from the mobilization, you must act. And as you act, it's God who gives the increase. But you and I must do something with what this word comes. And it's a season called now. Now's a season to do things that we've, we've always wanted to do, never thought we could do. Never had the courage to do or the boldness. But now in a season called now, the impetus is there. To do those things, to see those things, to touch those things you always dreamt of. Hello? But you have to recognize that season is now. You still need the same boldness. You still need the same faith. You still need the same courage. But as you step out, you just sense, I can do this. And as I do this, that season of now begins to dawn upon you. We're actually doing it. It's no longer, we can do it, we're actually doing it. And not only are we doing it, we're seeing some fruit for what we're doing. So when God began to show me this, that's when he began to tell me to 
raise the people, equip the people, make them ready for, uh, and, uh, sorry, tell them to press, push into, and pursue me until, until, it's a big word, until their testimony is firmly established. My testimony, what God's saying is that, that God in them and them in God yes. is firmly established. What this shows me is, it shows me the scope of the work that we as elders have now got to do. This is now the scope of the work. So everything that we say and everything we do, everything we pray, everything we think about is moving in this direction. Of how to mobilize, make ready to mobilize You as a house, or we as a people, so that you in your individual daily life expression establish the testimony of God through everyday living. Hello? Is that not true? It is. So, we know that we've got a lot of work to do. So, let's turn to the scripture that we know. Paul read it to us this morning. Send forth your light and truth. Let them guide me. You are my... So you are God, you're my stronghold. Stronghold. How many can say that? And then David's on a bit of a downer because he's surrounded by enemies. He's writing this in a time when enemies are surrounding him. So there's a battle on in the midst of his battle, in the midst of your battle, in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your indecisiveness. There has to be a prayer that comes out that elevates you beyond the natural realm. And here David says, why, why must I go about mourning? Let me just stop there. Exactly. Why must you go about mourning? Well, it's because of this, it's because of that, it's because of this, it's because of that, it's because of this. And they're real. However, you still have a choice to make. Remember we said you can be in Egypt, but Egypt doesn't have to be in you. You can be in darkness, surrounded by darkness, but darkness doesn't have to penetrate you. So, it's a good point, he says. Why do I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? And then he prays this fantastic prayer. Send forth your light and truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I'll go to the altar of God. To God, my joy, my delight. And I'm going to praise you with a harp, O God, my God. The message version says this. Now, the message is not a Bible. It's a paraphrased Bible. So let me quote that same scripture from the message version. Give me your lantern and compass. Give me a map. Give me your lantern and a compass and a map so I can find my way to ascend the mountain. To the place of your presence. To enter the place of worship. Meet my exuberant God. Sing my thanks with a harp. Magnificent God, my God. I like that I like that version. I like that. Give me a map. Yeah? Give me a lantern. Give me a compass. Give me a map. Every married couple should get those three things as a gift. I thought about this the other day and I thought, you know, I'm going to start giving married couples a lantern, a compass and a map. And to remind them that they're going to need a way, they're going to have to find their way through life, that's the map. They're going to need a light and they're going to need a compass. Yes, a moral compass. A moral compass, an ethical compass. Not a compass that's to know where they are, it's to guide them ethically, morally, spiritually. Psychologically, emotionally. Amen? So if we're going to make a journey. You're going to have to use faith. You're going to have to use trust. And you're going to have to be obedient. All the three words you don't like. Oh, let me throw another one in there. Because I know you really like this one. It's called self-sacrifice. You cannot be a Christian without sacrifice. Oh, let me give you this. If I put the cross like this, 
saint, servant, son, soldier, suffering, sacrifice. That's a Christian. Starts as a saint, he moves as a, as a servant, becomes a soldier, to ultimately become a mature son or daughter. With suffering and sacrifice, welcome to the cross. That's your journey and my journey. You don't just become those overnight. That is a process which is fulfilled through discipleship. Discipleship. So, how many of you know God never requests anything without providing the resources? God never ordered a meal without him paying for it. You may have done. I may have done. You may have freeloaded off your friend. You may have taken advantage of their great nature, good nature. And if you're a child, that, they do that all the time. It's called mum and dad. God will supply the map. God will supply the lantern. God will supply the truth for you to develop a moral compass, a spiritual compass. Yes? God will do that. So God is about to take you on a journey and God's going to supply certain things but that you must then begin to use. Yes? God never asked anything. God never asked you to do anything that is humanly doable. Get that one out there right now. Why are you asking me to do something that's impossible? Because... God wants you to be so dependent upon him that you can never boast about what you did. Right? So unless it's impossible, it's not God. Yeah? Don't confuse practical with impossible. There's a lot of practical things you should be doing. But there's always, you know, for us running a discipleship school, it seems impossible. For us to, to plant churches, it would, seems impossible. Right, that's, that's a good place to start. It's a good place to start. For some of you doing things, you think it's impossible. But for over here, we see it's very doable. But you're, you come shaking. It's like the Valley of the Dry Bones. You speak to you and you start shaking. But it's, it's the breath of God that keeps causing you to come alive. Our job is to keep speaking to your dry bones. Why? Because over here is doable. Over there is impossible. Now, it's okay, you start from the place of impossible, it becomes doable, becomes realistic, and it becomes done. As you work and walk with faith. So, the psalmist understood certain things about trusting God. He's in the midst of a battle. Hello? And he says, send forth your light and your truth, because without your light and truth, I have no way of finding my way out and I have no way of coming into victory. So God, these are two things that we can never negotiate in our Christian life. Light and truth. And do you know when, when you get light and truth, and you start praying for light and truth, it unlocks the door. It unlocks the veil. It unlocks so many things that you could never once get beyond and never see. God since God begins to unlock it so you can see, so you can then begin to make a journey towards. Amen? This is why it's so critical that you get light and truth on your path and in your life. Because it unlocks a series of events. I never thought that existed. I never thought that was possible. Well, when light shone on your path, what you never once saw, never thought was doable or possible, now becomes doable. Now, your job is to make the impossible possible. Now, in the natural, impossible is impossible. But in the supernatural, the impossible is possible. Why? Because of the one who's telling you to do it. The one who's telling you to do it. Knows it's possible, but you need his truth and light to make what's impossible, possible. Yes? That's why we'll do things as a church that people will scratch their heads. How the hell do you guys do this? Because there's light and truth in our house. There's light and truth in my heart. 
Why? I have a mobile lantern, I have a mobile map, and I have a mobile compass. Yeah? So, how many of you know that we live and we are surrounded by physical darkness? We live in a world where we are surrounded by physical darkness. Would you agree? So John says this. John tells us this. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And we don't walk or live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we walk in light, we can be surrounded by darkness, but we can have light. There's nothing worse when you see a Christian who's supposed to be a Christian who has no light. And every behavior, every action they take just seems to be the fruit of them living in darkness. Now, don't look at me like that because you were once that person and from time to time you become that person. A wise man is proven wise by what? His actions. A fool is proven a fool by his actions. A wise man has light. A fool has darkness. A fool ignores the light. But the, but the wise man sees the darkness and says, I'm not going that way. The wise man knows the difference between darkness and light. He knows the difference between wisdom and stupidity. So your testimony must be full of light. If people see your dark deeds, why will they ever be attracted to your God? People meet your life, people see your life and meet your life well long before they ever meet the life or the source of the life within you. I don't want people to see my dark deeds. Not only because that brings me embarrassment or shame, but it becomes an obstacle to them seeing the real thing called God. I don't want my stupidity to stop people seeing the God in me. One action, one action of mine can cause people to see the wrong side of me. Just one action. One argument in the shop, one attitude displayed can be the very thing then that tells these people, and he's supposed to be a Christian. See, I've got a face for radio. And I've got a face for TV. I may not have the confidence to do both of them, but I have a face for both of them. Now, if people see me in, in the shops, and I'm giving it all the wrong kind of vibe, and then all of a sudden someone sees me on TV, that's that dude what was, shoot, was shooting his mouth off in the shop the other day. People see you. I don't want that to be my testimony. And neither should you. Yeah? So if you keep crashing and burning, then the evidence is you're not walking in the light. So the emphasis on this scripture is on those two words, light, sorry, truth and light. On the, on, the, on the scripture of Psalm, and in this scripture is walking in the truth and light. Friends, you've got to keep walking in the truth. Walking what? Listen, what does that mean? Walk in the understanding you already have. Think about that. What I don't understand might seem dark, but what I do understand is the light I already have. So as I start to walk in the light that I already have, it leads me into, it, it then what, as I start walking, those areas that were dark suddenly become light. You start where you are. Use what you've got. Do what you know. Start where you are. Use what you've got. Do what you know. Amen? Arthur Ash said that. Who's half an ash? Forget it. We are not in the same light because we're all sat in this room. Let's be honest. We are not in the same light because we all sit in the same church. We are not in the light because we all listen to the same preacher. Because I don't know where you've been all week. 
I don't know what you've been doing all week. You don't know what I've been doing all week. And then, you know, it's very easy to come into a church. When they start singing, you start singing. When they stop playing, you sit down. When I get up to speak, you listen. Then you can walk out the door. What, what did I learn about you? What did you learn about me? Absolutely nothing. So it's very easy to play the church game because we've all done it. But that doesn't mean to say that we share the same light because we're in the same church. Hear the same message, sing the same songs. We share the same light when I see the fruit and I see the God of that fruit in you and you see it in me. If I can't see the same God and the same fruit in you that's in me, I have every right to think you and I are not of the same light. You may be smart in some areas, but that's not the same as walking in the light. So this is what he's trying to say. To have fellowship, there has to be a walk. There has to be a light and there has to be a walk. And there has to be a recognition. Deep needs to be able to reach out to deep and say, I recognize the DNA in you is the same DNA in me. We might be at different levels, but at least I've got to recognize the DNA. This is why you've got to be careful that you don't meet false people, blah, 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 blah. Amen? So... In order for you to shine, let me say this to you. In order for you to shine, your light to shine, you need to develop a capacity to increase your voltage. You need to increase your capacity. So the increase of the voltage can change. See these lights here? These lights here are called what they call daylight. Now... To get this daylight, see that light there? That's yellow. Okay? That's white. Is it electricity? Yes. Are you sure? Right. But they're both producing a different kind of light. Yes? To have those, all that needs is a bulb. <laughs> to get that light that, you can't just put a bulb in and it just go presto. Ah, you didn't know that, did you? When these lights were first put in, they were all that colour. And then we decided, let's get natural daylight. So I bought a load of bulbs, only to realise the bulbs don't work. You have to have an electrician to come in and change the voltage. Right? So as he changes the voltage, each individual light has to be individually done all the way through the building. Because when we bought the lights, we bought the lights for those bulbs. But then when allergen comes out, you then realise there's a better light. But now it takes a different kind of attention to get that light. So these, these lights have all been doctored. They've had the surgeon come to them individually. Have all had special attention. Yes? So now when we turn on the light... All the building lights up at the same time. That one just kind of just makes it. It's limping along. Yeah, that's limping along. That's a reminder of some Christians. You're just kind of, your yellow light. You're not quite sure whether you want to be daylight or nighttime. You're just, you're a bit dim. But where this one, now you see, if you look at that light and you look at through the window there, there's a correlation. There is... That's supposed to be. Now, do you want a really fancy, technical, sexy word? There should be a metameric match in this room. Now, I know that. I know that word because I was a printer. And in my industry, everybody knows what a metameric match is. Or the smart ones do anyway. The metamatic match is the same light that's in your factory has to be the same light that's in the supermarkets. Because I did printed all the stuff for supermarkets. I didn't print your newspaper, that's, that's just rubbish. We printed proper stuff, high quality material. So the light had to be the same. So the same light that's in Christ and the same light of Christ that's in you should be a metamatic match between the Father and his sons. 
So from the Father to the Son, it was the same light. Who has seen me has seen the Father. Right. Now if you walk in the light as he is in the light, there should be a metamatic match between the sons of God and the Son of God. Does that make sense? Are you getting this? So in order for that to take place, there has to be a voltage increase. Because the light I want shone needs upgrading. So that as I start to walk into other environments, as different pressures come upon me in those environments, my light has to shine brighter and brighter rather than it going dim. Hello? Are you getting this? So there has to be a voltage increase upon you. Now, how many of you know certain environments try to downgrade you? And then you have to have one of those machines. I think if you go to the States, from Britain to the States, when you take some of our instruments, it has to downgrade our power so that our, our machines work over there. Or the way around, which I forget which way it is. The point is, you cannot allow your environment to reduce your light. You can't. You are who you are by the grace of God. Now, you might need some wisdom on how to let that light shine, but don't reduce who you are and what God's doing inside of you. Let your light and your truth shine. That's the first part. And then they lead me. Yes? You seen this? Now, if I said to you, candlelight, paraffin, Gaslight, coal, wood, electric, and halogen light. We know they're all various forms of light. But as we move away, their capacity to shine is greater the more we see technology develop. Yeah? So if we turn the light off in here and we all come back here tonight at 8 o'clock when it's getting dark and we light a little candle and we all think we're all becoming good Catholics. We all sit here with a little candle... Right? How many of you know that one candle will expose the darkness? But is it, is it hardly enough for us to hold a meeting? No. Because at certain parts, the further you go away from the candle, there's going to be darkness. Right? But if I light a bonfire and burn some of these chairs, <laughs> guess what? It'll light the whole building up. But it will require more fuel to keep the light shining. But electricity... You can knock it on. Is that what a classic one is. When some of the guys come in to, le- to clean the church and they come in, in the daytime, they walk out and I walk in and all the lights are left on. Because they don't know the difference between that light and this light. It all looks the same to them. So they walk, they walk out. Times have come in and all the lights are on. We're lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> How do you, who's left all the lights on? Then I remember. In the daytime, they're not always aware that they've turned the lights on. There's a metameric match. So when we just turn the lights on, we can go out and leave this building for the next 10 years and these lights will still stay constant. Right? So here's the issue. If I tell you something and then I walk away for 10 years, can you still keep on doing what I told you to do? The voltage of light I gave him All I did was walk out the room and I left him. That's what the Apostle Paul did with Timothy. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. He told them things. Then there was a time when he left. And he says, keep on doing those things, boys. I'll be back for you. Don't worry. And in the meantime, the Holy Ghost will keep coming and he'll keep shining light. But keep on doing what I told you. You don't need to hear something new. There's a right time to hear something new. But if you're not doing something, I should be able to walk out this room and leave you for a period of time to hold the instruction. Because that's the light and the truth I gave you. But all of a sudden, uh, 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 I'm not quite sure, I'm not quite sure, I'm I'm uncertain now. Did he say this? And that's how the enemy comes in. Did God really say? Oh, God said it. All he did was step back. So all God did was step back to see if you truly 
can be a good custodian of the light and the truth that he gives you. So David knows that there's a time here when he doesn't feel God's presence. So he says, hang on, I need to get back to him. Send your light and your truth and they'll guide me. Why? They're going to guide me to where you are. I'm not going to panic and go the other way. My bottle's not going to go. I'm going to use what you told me. Why? I'm going to pray the prayer that's going to bring me closer to you. That's what you and I must do. You with me? So in this room, in this very room, look at the person at the side of you, look at them very suspicious, and say, are you a candlelight believer? Things, listen, listen, things are dimly lit within you when you read scripture. When you read scripture, you don't tend to have a lot of light. You read scripture, thank God you read scripture, and thank God there is light. But you don't tend to have a lot of it. We all read scripture when it looks dark. Scripture's not dark. How many times, when we say dark, let's use the word understanding. When you don't have any understanding, you think, what's the point of me reading that? What the hell is he trying to tell me here? Jesus, why just didn't you use Mancunian language? Why don't you just speak like a good bank? Why don't you talk like a scouser? Why don't you talk like a Geordie? Jesus says, no, I just talk. When you don't understand, how many times you've read a scripture and all of a sudden you read it another time and you go, oh! You have a ha-ha moment. Aha! I've heard that a million times and today I finally understand. Wow, rejoice, the light has come. So it's not only knowing now, so where's it going to lead you? So we have candlelit believers in the church who just get by. They read the scriptures for the day and just get by. Thank God there's some measure of light, but it's not enough. Or it's not all it can be. Yes? Then there are paraffin believers. Now, I know Phil would have a different kind of (laughs) phrase on this if you call someone a paraffin. Who seems to have a limited supply of fuel. And like the wise and foolish virgins, you're the one knocking on the door saying, I don't understand this. And you always have to connect with somebody who understands what you don't understand and maybe should understand. Now, let's get that in balance. There's always going to be times for that. But there's a period in time when you should be further on. So let's get that in balance and context. So you're a paraffin. (laughs) Then there are coal and wood believers. Yeah? In other words, you have a burst of light. You can really light up a room. You just don't light up a room long time. Yeah? You can bust the ball all right. You can definitely burn or turn up in flames. But it's not always the right kind of fire. And it's not always the right kind of heat you create. Yeah? Then we have the electric halogen believer. They've got endurance. They've got maturity. They've got stability. You can give them an instruction and walk away and they'll hold on to it. Which one of those lights do you think Jesus wants us to become? The electric or halogen light. Because that's the standard. Yes? Exactly. Exactly. These things last a long time. And they are cheap to run. That baby, every time you flick him on, he's like, money, 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 money. Drain, suck you. This guy says, you can leave me on all day long, and I'm cheap to run. Some Christians, you see them once, but they're expensive to maintain. Other Christians, you see them, and you never have to maintain them. They have this inbuilt maturity that says, I'm okay. It's not a great day, but I'm okay. The fact that it's not a great day doesn't mean to say I'm in pieces. It's just not a great day. But guess what? It is well with my soul. I can keep myself together. I don't need, I'm not dim. I'm not coal. I'm not a paraffin. I'm okay. You know, I'm the same today, 
probably I'll be the same tomorrow. Can't say I'll be the same every day, but there's at least there's a, there's a good element of consistency in my life. Jesus, that light, I'm the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. He's allergen. LED. LED. That's kingdom. You know, you're getting technical now, John. I like my illustration better. <laughs> Every light can be upgraded. We have LED allergen today, but guess what? Who knows in the next six months, or what's already in the pipeline, something else might come out. It's true. And the truth is, with the better technology, the bulb lasts longer and longer and longer. Yeah? So let's go to Exodus chapter 10. I know you're going to like this scripture. Not a lot, but you'll like it. Exodus chapter 10. Stand at verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky to the darkness will spread over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. Wow. Stretch forth your hand. Darkness is going to come over Egypt and it's going to be a darkness that you can feel. Wow. Darkness can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave the place for three days. Let's just pause there a minute. How many of you would you say that is pretty limiting containing darkness? When, when it actually stops you moving for three days. When nobody could see each other. Wow. You could lose your kids. That might not be a bad idea. <laughs> No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the place where they lived. That is a reflection of you and me. This should be your testimony. That even though that you work in a company or live in a home or live in a neighborhood that is in darkness and no one can seem to see one another, they don't know what they're doing, where they're going, how to get there, you should not be restricted by that darkness. God expects his church to be able to maneuver, advance in the midst of darkness. We were designed for that very thing. But if the same darkness that's in Egypt is in the church, we're all gone. But if our light gets into Egypt, Egypt's gone. Amen? So the Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go and worship. So what we're seeing here is this this light and this truth, where are they leading Israel? They're leading them to the altar. They come out of slavery. They've been brought out of slavery. You was a slave. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're now a slave to righteousness. So it brings you out. You were in darkness, in slavery. Darkness is always slavery. Darkness is always sin. Because sinful deeds are done in dark. So here's God. He brings them out. He creates a pathway to bring them out of slavery, out of captivity. Why? Let them come to worship me. So the truth and the light that Moses has been preaching... Is leading them to Psalm 43. Let your light and your truth direct me. Let them bring me to your mountain. Where did they go to? A mountain. How many altars were built in the desert? Many. The tabernacle was an altar. So you see the same path that David's seen is the same path that was in Egypt. It's the same path that you and I must still take. In the midst of darkness... They must bring us constantly with our light, must constantly keep bringing us to the altar, to a place of worship. Now, to a place of worship does not mean singing. I'll tell you that in a minute. So he says, they go to worship the Lord. Even, your, even the women and children may go with you or leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, no, you must allow all of us. Or allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. The worship was the whole reason why God was bringing them out. Yeah? 
The light was guiding them. It was guarding them. It was governing them. So they had a lantern. They had a map. They had a compass. Yes? It was guiding, listen, an entire nation of people. A whole nation was leaving Egypt. Out of darkness. How many people do you think we can lead with our light? How many people do you think we can lead? I think it's possible to lead the whole nation. It's possible to lead the whole nation. It's possible, let's go one step, it's possible to lead Europe. Let's take another step, because now I've grown two, I've taken two stages on, on snakes and ladders. Because there'll be a snake somewhere. But with truth and light, I can climb the ladder. So I climb the ladder, I'm on a run. I'm on a, I'm on a good run. So I've taken England, Britain. I've taken Europe. He says, now take one continent. Take two continents. Take three continents. Take four. Take five. Take the whole world for Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his son his light. God thinks in terms of global domination. But from from global to local to individual, personal, it starts with light. It's possible to win your whole factory to Jesus. It's possible to win your family. It's possible to win your neighborhood. I said it's possible. It's doable. It looks impossible. Good. That's how you know you're the right candidate. It's got to be impossible until it becomes possible. It's amazing. I forget who said it. I think it was Nelson Mandela that said it. It's amazing how impossible always looks. Things always look impossible until they're done. It's true. The light was leading people to God's holy mountain. Go to Hebrews 12. Don't mean right now, but go to Hebrews 12. What does he say? You have come to Mount Zion. The light is still leading us to a different mountain. And in that mountain, not for today, I'll talk to you about this mountain another day. But in this mountain, when you enter in, when truth and light enter in, it's an amazing place. We're still on that journey. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from darkness. He separated you from darkness. And God called the light day and he called the darkness, he called it night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. God separated it and that's the way he wants it. Darkness does not live in the kingdom. But light can live in darkness. Amen? You need this light into your soul. You need this light into your spirit. Because what is again, Hebrews tells us, the word of God, not only is it living and active, it penetrates. And as it penetrates, it shines. And as it shines, it exposes. And it exposes joint, marrow, soul, spirit. So that everything is exposed and then everything has to give an account. That's what light does. Hopefully that's the light that we preach in this house. I want you to sit there as uncomfortable as you possibly can if you're hiding sin. I don't want this church to be so comfortable that we all eat paninis together, drink pina coladas, right? And all just do wonderful fellowship. But if you're in sin, I want you to feel uncomfortable about your sin. Why? Because it's not about just having a wonderful, loving fellowship, family, church. That's nice. But you must have an atmosphere that is convicting. You've got to. Because why? How do you expect people to change? No, we don't want people to join. We want people to change. Too many people just want people to join the church. We don't want you to join. We want you to change. This is what this light's for. Transformation. Change. If you just join and there's no conviction, you don't need the power of yes and no. The, te- the, the grace of God teaches to say yes and no. Woo! The psalmist said this in Psalm 43. Let them guide me and let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. 
They're bringing you to a person who dwells in a place. Our light brings you to Christ. Our light does not bring you to church. Stop thinking you're bringing someone to church. You are in one sense. But in the bigger picture, you're bringing somebody to church so they can be introduced to Christ. But guess what? They didn't see Christ in here. They see it in you first. If they don't see it in you, don't bring it to church. Oh, I got 20 people saved today. Brilliant. I brought them to church and they saw the light in other people, but myself is in darkness. Now, God is smart enough, he'll use everyone. And Paul said, didn't he, whether some preach out of envy, some preach out of war, who cares, as long as Christ is preached in all things. It doesn't mean to say he'll bypass you. It doesn't mean to say you'll get away with it. He said, I'll just use it all. I like that about God. He sees the bigger picture. He doesn't, he doesn't hinder somebody else from entering the kingdom because this fellow's not right. So Acts 19... Verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. So Paul entered the synagogue, so it has limited light, a place with limited light. And there he spoke boldly for three months. How long? Three months, a long time. Arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, but some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So what did Paul do? He left them, took his disciples, and they had discussions daily in the lecturing hall in the hall of Tyrannus. They went for two years, so we're going for three months now to two years. So that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So the first group of people he spent three months talking to. I want you to see this. For three months, his light was shining to one particular group. There will be times in your life when you will shine your light to a particular group, but it will only be for a certain amount of time. Right. You're you're okay with that, aren't you? You you say, I understand that, Pastor. Right. Now let's change the scenario because I just lured you in there. What happens if that's a pastor to the church? What happens if God is trying to speak to his church, so he says to the pastor, for three months, tell them this. Well, for three months, let's give it a scenario. Hmm, let's think of a subject. Oh, I know, I've got one. Press in, push, and pursue until you establish the testimony of God through everything you do. Was that God's word to me? Yes. So for three months, Tony... Will you speak it? Okay, I will. So, let's go back and read this verse. Paul entered the dream center and spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way so, at that point, Paul left. Now, I'm not saying I'm leaving, by the way. Here's the, issue I want, here's the issue I want you to see. It's not that I left. Who did I take? Who did I take? Who did I draw closer to and who, who drew closer to me? The disciples. He took the disciples with him. And he took him to the school of Tyrannus. It's called discipleship. This went on for two years. He discipled them for two years. He found a group he could work with. Every leader has to do this, church. Oh, but you're just a shepherd. You laid your life down. Yeah, I lay my life down, but for the right cause. And all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So that Paul decisively realized this group of people are not getting it. But within that group, there was another group who rose up and said, we're attracted to this light. We are attracted to this truth. 
Let this light and this truth lead us to the holy mountain. Let us lead, let, take us. So, so with this light and this truth, we want to meet the guy you're talking about. We want to grow and know and then go with the one that you're talking about. So Paul took them aside. He found a different environment. And he began to work with them for two years. They had three months opportunity. But they got two years attention. Now I say to you as a church. You decide which group you're in. But Paul won't hang around. And I know he won't. And I know little Paul, the little Paul we've got won't. Because we know, we've got to know those who are attracted to the word and to the light. Why? Because they're taking us on a journey to the mountain. We know there's going to be sacrifice. Many of you sacrifice. I can see that. But what I'm saying is you have to decide. Because it was David's prayer that said, let your light and your truth guide me. You have to pray the same prayer. I can't pray it for you and expect from my prayer you will do it. I can pray for you hoping and believing and trusting God that he will convince you to the point that what you hear and what you see is worth making that journey. But ultimately, it has to come down to you. You can have three months of hearing it, or you can have two years of it being developed in you. It's a very powerful reality. Many of us come to church for different reasons. At some point, you have to make a choice. I came to church for the wrong wrong reasons for many years. And then God's truth and light shone on my life. And at that point, everything began to change. The game was over. Yeah, the game was over. Now, Psalm 43 says this. We're nearly there. Then I will go to the altar of God, my joy and my delight. So is the truth and light, the taking me, the leading me to the, to the mountain. I'm taking, him to, they're taking me to the altar. This is the process. Now, guess what? When Paul prays that original prayer, we read it in two and three verses. True? How many of you know that when you, between each verse can be a decade? You know, when David said that, David didn't know he was in the Bible. When Paul said what he said, when all the disciples, when all the contrib- contributors of, <coughs> of Scripture wrote what they wrote, not one of them, not one of them ever thought they were in the Bible. So we now read and we benefit from what they wrote as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. Because no prophecy came about by its own origin. Came about, Hebrews tells us, by as men were moved along by the Spirit. So here we are. We're moved to the altar. The altar is the key part because it's this is where you change. This is where your flesh starts to get a bit of a pounding. Your attitudes get uh, cleaned up. You turn around. You see things, and you see light. It truly is, and it gives you choices and options, and it gives you hope. And it's so important. Now let me just give you very quickly, just three things. I can't tell you, what, I can't go through them because we don't have the time. Keep your heart soft. If you're going to be brought to the altar, keep your heart soft. Amen. <clears throat> to keep your heart soft, you've got to allow truth and light to be brought into your heart. Yes. Amen? Yes. Keep your heart soft. Keep your heart tender before the Lord. Amen? Second thing, stay obedient to what the truth and light is revealing. Yeah? If you're praying, if you're not praying, start praying. Start praying and get this thing into your heart. Third thing, stay obedient. Did I say that, didn't I? Stay obedient, sorry. So if you're not praying, start praying. If you don't give to God, start tithing. Hello? It's gone gone slow. Is it still raining in here? Start obedience today. If you, make a, if you make a vow, fulfill it. Even if it hurts you. If you need to do something better, than, than, uh, if you need to do something better, sorry, then do it better. 
Find a way to be obedient. The last one is speak righteously and speak with grace. These are the signs of a soft heart. When people have got a soft heart, it's amazing how they speak gracefully. When I, when I think of one of the, one of the people who, who speak gracefully, I'll embarrass them now, is, is, is Claire. Claire has a way of speaking very tenderly and very gracefully to you. Her language is very graceful. She never once tells you to do one. That's just not in Grace's, in Claire's character to do that. She might do it to David, I don't know, but she's never done it. So when she plays, she plays like she's so graceful. Yeah, your name should have been Grace. <laughs> so you can see that these peaceful waters flow within her. Now, I don't have that grace. I'm Colin Mouth on roller skates. So my grace is different than Claire's. And each one, but I still need to speak with grace. And I need to speak righteously. Though my grace manifests in a very different way. But they should still be the same grace. Same righteousness. Does that make sense? So they're going to lead us to the altar. And lastly, he says, and I will praise you with the harp, O God. I'll praise you without. Now, David could play an instrument. You might not be able to. But that doesn't mean to say you haven't got an instrument. You have an instrument. It's called your, your lungs, your mouth. Now, now, that doesn't mean to say you get over here. It means you might need fine-tuning. You might need, like Paul, to leave, the th- leave, leave one place and go to another place where you can sing and practice. Now, I mean, that might be that you might have to leave the living room to go to your bedroom. You might have to leave the house and find a field. Right? You've got to find your place to tune your instrument. Yeah? The hills are alive with the sound of music. Not necessarily the sound of yodeling. But guess what? God is not interested how good your voice sounds. He likes yodeling. He likes yodel. Do you know you can do a degree in yodeling? That is true. I heard a fella go into great details on radio the other day. He's like, it's yodeling. Shut up, it's yodeling. And you can do a degree on it. And he's telling me like, we're all interested. Shut up. The point is this, you've got to find your place to exercise your grace. Yeah? The depth, magnitude, and sincerity of your worship. The depth, magnitude, and sincerity. Because not all worship is sincere. Is, is a reflection of the one you personally say you know. Rather than the one you tell me you know about. Don't, your worship is not based on what the guy you know about. It's the, based on the guy you know. The depth and magnitude of, of, uh, and sincerity of your worship is dependent upon the level of intimacy that you have created with the one you say you know. Do you have intimacy? Yeah? How many of you know? You don't, when you get married, you don't hold yourself back from your spouse. You give yourself to your spouse. So the two become one. True? When you became in Christ, you became, two became one. There must be intimacy. The depth of magnitude and sincerity of your worship is dependent upon how much light and truth keep shining on the scriptures that you read. Because as the light keeps shining on the scriptures, it takes me nearer and closer and deeper to him. The other day I'm sat there reading this Psalm 43 and it's like I'm having an audience with one. And I was aware I was having a moment and the scriptures just opened up and this Psalm 43 opened up to me. And I didn't do anything special. All I did was sat on the settee and opened my Bible. But heaven came to me. But at least I was in a place. The depth and magnitude and sincerity of your worship is dependent upon the willingness to keep making personal sacrifices. Again, 
The magnitude and sincerity of your worship is ultimately seen through your ability to serve others. This is so key. If you can't serve others, don't tell me you're a worshipper. How you worship, how you serve is a reflection of your worship. We all must be serving somebody. Even Bob Dylan said that. The gospel according to Bob. The depth of your worship is ultimately seen through how you speak and air your opinions of others. Again, the sincerity of worship is not on how good you can sing, but on whether how quick and creative you can make melody in your heart to God. Can you make melody in your heart to God when there's no music? It's true. The last one. Magnitude of worship is this. It's not the soul. Listen to this. This is going to help you. The depth and magnitude and power of your worship is not solely expressed through your diaphragm. You know what it is? It's it's expressed and based on what can come through your spirit man. God's not interested in the diaphragm. That's why you listen to some songs, you know, some singers and vocal acrobats. He's like, oh, please. We get it. You can sing. We get it. But that voice gets in the way. And it stops us because the voice is so big in the room. That's not what we need. But it's what can come through your spirit. Because what can come through my spirit, I can offer to him. Amen. So let's stand to our feet, if you will, please. Let's conclude this. I want you to pray this week, if you will, Psalm 43. I want this to become, if you will, your scripture, your pursuit, your quest for 218. If you can write it out, write it out. If you can put it on your fridge magnet, put it on a fridge magnet. Put it in the house, put it, do what you've got to do. Tie it to your children's legs, do whatever you've got to do. Write it on the tablets of your heart, on the doorpost of your home. Do what you've got to do. And this should be your prayer. Lord, I'm not going to be in despair. I'm not going to be in despair. What did he say? He said... Um, why, why must I go about mourning? And oppressed by the enemy. I refuse right now. I'm saying no. I'm not being oppressed by the enemy. I'm not having it. He's not going to push me in a corner. So what I'm going to do is, Lord, send forth your light. Make this the prayer. Push in for God. Keep sending. Now listen, it's not going to fall out the sky. Open your Bible. And believe that when you read it, Light and truth will guide you. Let the scriptures come alive. When we use the word illumination or enlightenment, it's light that brings new understanding. Trust God that as you pray, God hears your prayer and begins to answer the prayer, the very prayer that you're praying. And you begin to pursue, Lord, send light. Let them guide me. So that's the journey I'm on. So you've got to do what the light is instructing you to do. Yes? Let them bring me to your holy mountain. It's a journey where the presence of God is going to get thicker and thicker and thicker. You're going to enter into new dimensions. Your prayer is going to change. Your prayer, your tongues will change. Your ability to declare will change. Why? Because as you start coming up the mountain, your character is going to change. Amen? Less of you. They're going to bring you to the holy mountain, to his place where he dwells. Then you're going to go to the altar and you're going to say, with the light that you see, you're going to surrender. And as you surrender, you're going to say, oh God, I see myself the way you see me now, Lord. Take that away from me. Take this away from me, Lord. Clothe me in righteousness. Cleanse me, oh God, with hyssop. Let my body, be, let my, my walk with you become a sweet-smelling aroma. And then he says, then get up and begin to make music in your heart. Why? That's the whole cycle. That's our journey this year. Amen? I make no apologies for saying the things I say. Because this is the journey we're going to. Welcome to Zion.
Welcome to Zion. The whole, the dwelling place. It is. It's the city. It's the place of the living God. So right now, just raise your hands with me. We're going to pray. We're going to pray corporately together. We're going to pray, Lord, send the light. Send the truth. Lead us. Lead this house. Lead everyone in this house to your holy mountain. Let's make the journey. Father, from this day, Lord, you're leading us. We're going. We will not be oppressed by the enemy. We will not enter a phase of mourning. But we're going to come to the mountain. There's going to be praise. There's going to be joy. There's going to be an expression. There's going to be an altar. There's going to be sacrifice. There's going to be a season of uh, crying. There's going to be a season of singing. There's going to be a season of reflection. There's going to be a season of surgery. But God, you're leading me to the place. Your holy mountain. Almighty God. Father, let it come right now throughout this church. Let it come, Lord. Let it come on every individual home, every family, every, every family, every individual, oh God, in this house. Send forth your truth and your light. Let them guide us. Oh, Father. Holy Spirit, seal this word in our hearts. Let it not escape our hearts. Oh, this is my story. This is my song. And I'll be praising my Savior all day long. Oh, Father. Oh, mighty God. Oh, Father. Father. Sheila Baba Mama Korianda. Sheila Mama Mama Korianda. Oh, Holy Ghost. Mm. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he give you peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a standing ovation. Thank you, Father. Lord bless you. Have a godtastic week.